Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio. Uh, last month, September, we had Christian Ward join us. Uh, we did a lot of really, uh, for the most part, spoiler-free talk about his new book, Batman City of Madness, on DC Black Label. Today, we're tearing the veil off that through the powers of time travel, and we're going to go full spoilers in for this one. So if you have not read the book yet, it is on shelves right now. Pause this, go pick it up, or if you read digitally, pick it up, pick it up digitally, read the book, then come back here, listen to Christian pour out his heart or, you know, make us try to shut up about it. <laughs> but here we go. We've got Bat Force Tom in California. Spoiler alert. And returning with us to give us more spoilers, Christian Ward himself. Thank you again, Christian. Hello. Lovely to see you both again. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you never left. Ages. <laughs> and now, so everyone gets to have Batman City of Madness in their hands now, your baby that you've been uh, working on for years. And yep. now we're going to just, well, they've been warned, we'll spoil anything yeah. about it from here on out. Uh, if if you didn't read it, it's it's at your peril now. Yeah, yeah. So as we were saying in the, the previous episode, this was your own like a pseudo sequel to the book that started it all for you which was batman arkham asylum serious house on serious earth full title from grant morrison dave mckean and what uh, exactly did you want to give the world in this story and uh where are you taking us i mean like i mean so for one it, it, this had to feel like a love letter to that book you know it was a thank you thank you for kind of setting me on this journey towards comic uh, I, you know, has as a job, um. But the thing that that you know, when I read that book as a as a thirteen year old, I couldn't grasp what was happening a lot of the time. You know, it was just, but it always felt like it was dangerous. It always felt like it was not quite of our world. You know, and it was this strange eerie otherworldliness about it i mean particularly the scene where um amadeus is kind of like you know scratching you know all the words on the kind of concrete floor it just felt what's going on you know what is happening here you know and as batman kind of goes through the asylum in his nightmare he's encountering these characters and very often we're not even really introduced to who they are mm -hmm. um and they're they're always presented in a way that they are you know you're never quite sure who they are there's like the 
the guy um you know with the, the all the electric stuff and you're like you know is that zeus who is that you know yeah. you know and then and then this clay face you know is that clay face or is that somebody else? you know it's always very like kind of like strange and you can't quite grasp it um and obviously you know when he gets attacked by killer croc it's just there are monsters in this world and that just stuck in my mind that this book was a horror you know it was almost like one of the first horrors i experienced you know from the very first page of joker pushing a pencil into somebody's eye or did he um it was just it it, it terrified me and so when i kind of allowed myself to think okay this this book could be a pseudo sequel to arkham i am not going to try and retread the ground i'm not going to try and do the same thing but i'm going to my mind was this is a story that kind of happens in the same universe kind of and it alludes to that night as as you gentlemen all know um and there are there are, there are characters so the doctor from uh, from arkham asylum mm-hmm. is in this she's now running arkham asylum um uh and you know he has an interaction with with mad hatter you know that's you know i it's all there but i wanted to harness that sense of otherworldliness and just follow that you know follow that sense of what is this batman has left his reality in arkham asylum and he's gone to another reality and so i took that and i made it literal um we are dealing with a literal other reality that that is evoked and created through madness so it's very much kind of you know taking arkham asylum and just going okay so let's just let's just let it out and and rip it open and just let it really go from there so yeah it's one of the to touch on that a little bit um we talked a little bit before but uh something that i love is whenever something is definitely yours it's your own um alfred is in this first issue so we got Um, alfred um and it's a very a very important uh viewpoint in that you kind of hear him lamenting about mm-hmm. what Batman has become, what Bruce has become. And it's it's really sad and hurtful to see, you know, what he is kind of dealing with uh, while while he's watching Batman kind of spiral or become what he's become. And, uh, you know, he that's it's it's a trauma for him because he even mentions as he's looking on to yeah. he's looking onto the images of uh, the Waynes and mm-hmm. it's, he gives a little bit of a. Um, he, he gives a, a bit of a confession in that he's kind of like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry what happened, but I wanted vengeance also. Part, yeah. of, part of it is something that I allowed. So yeah. it's it's something that he's dealing with. And then um, we were mentioning earlier, you know, the, the uh, addition of the way you write Two-Face in this and how Two-Face seems to, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great take because you, you're kind of uh, apprehensive to see what he's up to or what he's trying to do. And, and yeah. you could tell he's kind of um, um, he's kind of you know having a hard time with it, and it starts to slowly kind of open itself up to this idea that he's a messenger right now, and it's through his trauma and his psychosis that he is being given a message, and it's almost like oh man, it's okay, he's almost like an antenna or a conduit yeah, or something. Yeah, hundred percent. 
hundred percent. Yeah. In fact, it, you know, in the script, I often refer to him as the antenna. You know, for um, for the character. And here's a, and and spoilers for, for obviously spoilers. But the um, I, I never name the other the other the other personality that we we see the other two face that we see um, revealed in it. But he's called Third Face. Oh, um, nice. Hearing it all. You know, it's he's never named in the book, but that's his name. He's the third face. Okay. But yeah, but to go back to kind of like you know to talk about Alfred and to talk about um, Harvey, the way that I approached this book was um, the only way that I could kind of make the fantastical, you know, the, the the real, and it goes really far out there with kind of crazy concepts and weird places. The only way that I felt like I could sell that was to make sure that the humanity was there. You know, I think there's a, there's a I'm going to butcher it, but I think there's a Spielberg's like kind of he's the way he works, particularly when he was doing his kind of like, you know, fantasyful films was that you put normal people in extraordinary situations. You don't put extraordinary people in extraordinary situations. It's you have to have that normality. So for Alfred, I've never seen a take that portrays him as really as purely as Bruce's father, but he raised him as from like what, you know, 10, 12 years old. He's his father. Yeah. You know, you know, and like, I've never really seen, I mean, obviously the, the plenty of like, you know, amazing Batman writers have like, you know, shown that they love each other. You know, that's not new, but I really wanted to look, the, you know, I'm a father now, uh, and one of the things that kind of comes into being a parent, I think, is guilt. You know, whether you like it or not, you know, I lost my temper at my uh, my daughter the other day because um, she was, you know, being naughty, and I'm still feeling guilty about it. And that was just a very small thing, you know. And now imagine that, where you're you've you've taken a child that you love. And because of your own perfectly understandable feelings towards wanting some relief from your trauma, you've allowed them to become this thing that puts them in mortal danger every single night. What would that do to you? You know, and that was what I wanted to do with Alfred to, was to write that, you know, that, that humanity. And I would say that Alfred and harvey are the heartbeats of this book and we'll be you know we will see them from issue one all the way through to issue three you know that that they are both on a journey you know and it's a quite you know there are there are parallels with that journey because at the center of that journey is both their relationship with bruce let's not forget harvey and bruce were friends Mm -hmm. and what does that do you know you know every night Batman goes out and beats up Harvey, who used to be his friend. There's something not quite right there. And there's something, you know, how does the character deal with that? How do they both deal with that? You know, so I really wanted to kind of bring a different, you know, bring bring my, what I felt was, how would I feel if I was that character? You know, and bring that to it. Uh, And so that in the hope that, you know, when people read it, there's an empathy there um that you know you really connect and i think kind of you know with all you know even with like you know your scary villains if you can empathize with them i think that often makes them far more terrifying yeah yeah 
And uh, so you referred to Alfred and Harvey as uh, two of the heartbeats of the story. One of the heartbeats of the entire Batman mythos is Arkham Asylum itself. Mm. And I love how, so we're halfway through the issue here. Uh, we're Batman is returning to Arkham Asylum. And we have here our direct reference to Grant Morrison and Dave McKean's Arkham Asylum. Our, you know, he, he's arriving, says, you know, home to Gotham's criminally insane. I hate it here. Years ago, I was forced to spend a night in it. In my worst moments, I wonder if perhaps I never left. Mm-hmm. And the the suggestion, the the respect given to that book in the suggestion that that story is still affecting Batman now, as it should, is mm-hmm. uh, is a, a great way to be uh, beginning the opening chapter of this story. Thank you, thank you. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's I, I, you know, I love that. I mean, one of my favourite films is um, John Carpenter's Mouth of Bandus. Okay. You know, and, and and I I don't know if you guys seen it, but it's mm-hmm. the, the, those levels of kind of reality and that kind of the scene where he's just like, oh my god, I love films and stories where just there's no escape. You know, there's no escape. You're doomed. Yeah. Uh, and I felt that what an interesting idea to kind of drop that in. That that that's almost how he feels. Like he's going around with his reality but the, there's this seed of doubt that oh my god have i lost my mind and this is all you know this is all like my delusion and i'm in a in a cell somewhere um you know i thought that was just too that was that was that was how i feel i would feel if i was batman you know and i had you know i had that trauma overnight you know again trauma 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 you know it's all how we deal with things and sometimes how we don't deal with things mm. yeah the, I, I also um, I think it's something that you kind of see as at the be- you beginning of the issue and then it really kind of comes to uh, the forefront at the end of the issue where mm. you see trauma. You see this idea of something horrible and horrific happening that people go through and how it influences and impacts them. And there's a character at the very beginning where you're not sure of who it is and what he's been yeah. through. As the issue unfolds, you start to hear about his loss and his anger and his his want for you know revenge and and that kind of thing and it it kind of you see how it plays where trauma has an opportunity to push somebody to a place where they could either learn and they could grow and they could um i guess accept and and really kind of have this opportunity to forgive and and overcome or they could just fall into its depths and depravity. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you kind of see the potential for that. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah. my God, like, where is this going to go? You yeah, know, exactly. We're going to go here with this character. So exactly. I mean, yeah. and, you know, and that's 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 he's such a key part of this story. And, um, you know, that's why I wanted him to be from Smallville, uh, because I wanted him to be from a place oh. um, that, you know, that we associate with hope, you know, ha- hope happy families you know you know a a small local community you know it's not crime ridden it's not you know diseased it's it's a a warm happy place to to grow up you know and he loses his father uh to to what he learns is corrupt cops um and um you know and, and so he comes to gotham and gotham gets its little tentacles and its tendrils into him and and um his journey, his journey is going to be kind of like the the, the kind of the, 
the thing that is really important for, for Bruce, you know, because I like this idea that, I mean, I don't want to say too much because a lot of this is an issue too, but it, it's, you know, there's, in the way that Alfred kind of weaponized Bruce's trauma, that, you know, obviously Bruce has done that himself, you know, and we will explore that going forward. Um, you know, and, and there's that scene where in the Batcave where we see, you know, Barbara comes to kind of check on them and her and Alfred have that conversation and she kind of muses, you know, would there be a Batman if Bruce had gone to therapy? You know, and that's mm-hmm. the thing, you know, you know, I, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I want to be able to have those kind of conversations and I'm kind of, you know, I want to have my cake and I want to eat it, you know, you know, obviously if Batman had uh, gone to therapy, there'd be no story. So we're not going to do that because otherwise there'd be no story, you know, in the same way that, you know, I always hate when people on social media bring up time and time again going, well, why doesn't Bruce Wayne use his millions to kind of solve crime? I'd be like, because there'd be no story. That's yeah. not the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but, you know, there is a, you know, I reference that when he's talking to, um, you know, the doctor at the um, Arkham Asylum, you know, he, he, there is a suggestion that he, you know, that he could be putting money into Arkham Asylum and helping, you know, so I want to have those discussions, but not negate the story of what Batman is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of Grant Morrison, he, he says in an interview, he gives a great example of like being careful to not get hung up on little questions and little things like that because here, like reality. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, what about the, the wheels in the Batmobile? How does he change the wheels in the Batmobile? And then Grant Morrison is like, there are no fucking wheels. <laughs> He's like, don't get hung up on that. Exactly. You know, you know yeah. and, and they're, they're exactly right. You know, it, it's, um, you have to just really, you know, I went, like, I want to have those conversations and to, like, but, and be serious and earnest about them. You know, I'm not taking the mickey out of those conversations, you know, because there is a sense of, you know, it, it, that I wanted to bring a sense of, emotional reality to this i want the characters to respond in a realistic way to very you know fantastical things like like i was saying earlier with the the spielberg quote um but i don't want to you know i don't want to disrespect the fantasy the fantasy still has to happen you know it's still got to be a fun ride because if it's not a fun ride then you know why are you paying your your dollars for yeah there, there are certain details that will always be for another story like you know well who goes around and picks up all the batarangs well the, the, you know maybe there's a, so there's this guy that goes around the city and he finds all the batarangs and he sells them on ebay yeah. but the, you know this we've never gotten to the point where this is what that story is about yeah. um, exactly. well Alfred some of the does de- do an inventory that we've learned yep. he does do yeah. we have learned that like oh you lost eight tonight master wayne <laughs> uh, one of the details i do love is uh, we just touched on him, the child we're introduced to at the beginning. Mm-hmm. His introduction, particularly given the designs that this other Batman, uh, the Batman from below, has for him, his origin, you know, his reason for coming to Gotham, for being put in this situation in the first place, is Gotham had taken something from him. Gotham had given him trauma. And that is such mm-hmm. a built in 
part of the origin story of every character in the Batman mythos is what yep. Gotham took from them and what trauma Gotham inflicted on them. Mm-hmm. And so he's arriving here from that and his innocence and his lack of exposure to Gotham before is so well illustrated by when he's at the train station buying the ticket, he says he's never seen a bat before. Mm-hmm. And well, you're going to see a lot of them now. And <laughs> then he, he does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I was really happy when I came up with that bit. Uh, <laughs> um, Clever. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's, um, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he's, I, you know, he's somebody that, that he's, I mean, as you say, he's completely innocent. Uh, I mean, yes, he does, you know, he's carrying a gun yeah. and, and he's, he's come to, to kill somebody. Um, but he could have very easily have shot a gun at any moment mm. and he didn't. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's pointing it at, you know, at the terrible trio. They don't have guns and he could have killed one of them or any of them. He doesn't. You know, there's there's a lot of rage in that boy, you know, and and um, but at the moment he doesn't know, he doesn't really know what he wants. He just knows he's feeling a lot of anger, and um, you know, we'll find out why Batman Below is attracted to that and why he's taking him. Ooh, I was I don't want to go too far ahead, but I'm <laughs> sure there's bigger plans for it. But it almost feels like he is. Well, kind of going back to the Harvey thing, right? Harvey seems to be this antenna for this trauma. Because he's been through a traumatic experience, he seems to be this antenna that can sense the Batman below. And he says, there's a bigger, there's something bigger there. There's like this evil, there's this bigger evil here. And he seems to be the only one that can kind of tell. And and now we see, the first th- the first time we see Batman below out, he goes immediately to this young boy. And it's yep. almost as if he could smell the trauma on him. It's almost yeah. as if like it's, it's evil mm-hmm. preying on an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my mind goes back <laughs> to, uh... <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> my mind goes back to uh, the, the original solicitation for the issue. Uh, you know, the, the part about this, this other Gotham existing uh, stating that uh, it's, that this Gotham below was fueled by the fear and hatred flowing down from above. And that's, you know, when I saw he was latching onto this little boy, I felt like, okay, he's, he's feeding on, on that fear and hatred that, that this boy feels for the trauma that Gotham put him through. He's a Mm -hmm. low vibes. He can feed, feeds off the low vibes. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Just like you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be better. Yeah. Uh, what was very cool to see uh, uh, the Court of Owls back, yes. and uh, oh, and yeah. just the the whole mythos of that, and mixing that into this story. And uh, the, what I what I think is cool is like, yeah, okay, you know, the the Court of Owls has come into stories here and there. They influenced whatever. But what's cool to see now is like there's division in their ranks. There, yeah. there's inner fighting and it's interesting it's like almost like like mafia style where it's like certain factions uh, don't like each other and there's drama and now this is something that where they're realizing they have to come together with enemies now very very interesting take and to see that and uh, to see where that might play out so very cool to see those characters come oh thank out. you yeah, yeah i mean yeah uh having the court be a part of the story is is a very cool thing when they're used well but i per- 
particularly like when they are used in a man a manner that seems fitting for them you know something important like they were unbeknownst to gotham they were protecting gotham for you know a hundred years from this this danger that no one knew was there uh where did the idea come to you that this should be the court that was that was protecting were that were there were they always part of a built-in uh idea yeah because they're old like it has the whole thing is about you know ancient gotham you know you know gotham a hundred years ago like you know this this had to feel like something you know when you're dealing with cosmic horror and you're kind of looking at kind of lovecraftian stuff it's 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 a sort of science fiction horror that looks past not forward you know that's that's the that's the core thing it's something that's happened you cannot change that it has already happened it's already the end of the world there's that dread you know you're not looking forward you're already in it and so with that idea that that these terrible things gotham was in it and it's always been in it then it's it's it has to be the cult you know um you know and scott and greg you know created these absolutely wonderful i mean my god that you know so many great i mean we, we you know talks about Tinian on on the last um last episode and you know he's introduced so many brilliant characters but the court there's just something magical about them and just because they feel like a lot of good batman villains are this strange opposite to batman i mean you look at the joker you look at kind of harley quinn you look at you know punchline you look at like you know all these different characters they're full of color they're they're very kind of you know you know often kind of like you know the polar opposite of what batman is and a lot of his villains have that there's there's this you know strange tension between them but in many ways the courts are a mirror to batman um and they're very you know i grew up in you know 1980s britain and the big thing for us as kids was doctor who and one of the, the most terrifying villains for me growing up was the cybermen you know and in the 80s it was just like a blank face just you can't read what they're thinking and it's scary and for me the court are exactly the same it's that that blank you know unfeeling face but just this sense of power and like you know these people are in control um and so it, it had to be them and they just seem to fit perfectly into a story about cosmic horror and i think part of how well scott and greg incorporated them into the mythos is uh, important to what makes them fit so well into this story 100 percent, 100 having them be this entity you know that it they frightened bruce because yeah. he thought that he knew the city better than anyone. He thought that he was the the one that protected it and, and made mm-hmm. sure everything was right. And then he found out they were there and that they yeah. existed the whole time when he thought they were a nursery rhyme. And like how far Scott even went to, if you look back before the New 52 started in his uh, detective comics, if you look in Black Mirror, he did the uh, Gates of Gotham miniseries. And was already planting seeds in there for the, I think in, uh, I think it's in Gates of Gotham, Solomon Cain, I think, had a a cane in his hand. And the pommel part, like the top part of his cane was an owl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just that those things were already planted there so that you could 
think when you're later on, you know, new 52 starts, you're reading this. Like, yeah, I, th- I think I saw some, I think I've seen some, yeah. some owl imagery in Gotham before. Yeah. Very, very smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, you know, and this whole book, you know, I, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, and I'm very aware of that, but hopefully I'm doing it and I'm kind of like, you know, praising them at the same time. Dude. I, but think of it this way too. The same way that Scott was, you know, coming up with these concepts for the Court of Owls and, you know, knowing that he stood on the shoulders of giants, you know, he was thinking of like Frank Miller and people like that and and Grant Morrison, obviously, that they create it led to them creating the Court of Owls. And now you're doing this part standing on the back of what they made with the Court of Owls to introduce this other Gotham and, you know, the, this, this Batman from below and, you know, maybe 10 years from now, it's someone standing on your shoulders and using this other Gotham and the Batman from below and to, yeah. to, to build their something? thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that'd be amazing. But right now, what I'm hoping for is a, 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 a Todd McClellan toy. That's what I want. Oh. I want the toy. <laughs> what was, what's Todd say about that, Tom? Well, we'll see what we can do, Chris. You know, we're doing a lot of cool stuff right now. We're making some uh, interesting things, but I, th- I think this will make a great figure. You got a good comic book you got there. We can make a good figure out of this. We uh, we we had uh, we had Todd on here uh, a few years back, and we we like uh, having having good fun with Todd. Oh, actually, he's he's been on almost every episode since, really. Yeah, really. In a way, yeah, he's so cool. I've I've uh, I've met I've had a few zooms with Tom myself because we we almost did a, a a spawn thing at one point, oh, and wow. um, well, you never never know, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's you can just sit there and let him talk, yeah, and just be like. Mm-hmm. yeah just keep talking he's, and, he's yeah and, and, and he is so giving with his time too. both really is, yeah. you know he i really saw him is. at a con not leave his table all day where he was supposed to you know sign for an hour have an hour off whatever he stayed yeah. there through the entire day and then to the end the day we had him on the podcast here um uh, i was in touch with his assistant while he was on his way into the office he was going to to join the call from in the in the actual mcfarland office mm-hmm. and she sends me a message says okay todd's stuck in traffic you were going to get an hour but now you're you there's only half an hour left so mm-hmm. we no okay well, well you okay we'll make do with that you know it's better than mm-hmm. not having him at all then todd shows up there sits down and talks to us for an hour and a half wow mm-hmm. yeah that sounds like him yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I want my toy, Todd. I want my yes. toy. <laughs> we'll we'll get you there. We'll just oh, gotta you know. <laughs> what what a great looking figure that would be. And, and you know, and that's just the views we have of him so far. You know, I can't wait for uh, the imagery we get of him in the uh, in the following two issues. Oh, He's yeah. been doing these, uh, especially the monster and the cryptid looking rogues. He's been doing these like twelve inch size. Like they, I want to say, I just saw it was uh, was it the 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 venom venomized joker from arkham asylum that he just re-released again or just redid mm-hmm. okay and then he he did a swamp thing he did a clay face and they're all like 12 inch massive action figures because you know it's kind of to go to scale with the seven inch uh batman they got so mm-hmm. that'd be kind of cool depending upon uh you know uh what he chooses to do if, if he does a line of this one and he loves mm-hmm. this kind of stuff 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to send it to him. I don't know why. I haven't already. I will. Yeah, I'll do it yeah. today. Yeah. Tag him in every tweet. Tag him in every tweet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you won't get bored of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there was another part of the issue I had wanted to bring up here. Of course. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, the yeah right there with the the court of owls uh i love that we're not only getting just the the court members themselves you know the the affluent people uh who you know run parts of the city each on their own to collectively run the entire city but we see again the return of a talon mm-hmm. a very specific one yeah you've got you, you can't have a you can't have the court without the weapon do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and, and you know, and and I wanted to use him in the same way. Yeah, he's it, the way that I've I've written him. He's very much, I think, you know, he's not really allowed to have a life or to to exist beyond having a weapon in his hand. Even to the point where he's hurt, and you know, he has his arm lobbed off. You know, they regrow the arm and reattach it, and he's back out there. You know, and I want there to be parallels between you know the conversation we were having earlier about Bruce and Alfred, and the talons as, and, and the court. You know, and, and the difference in the way that both of them are viewed. You know, the court don't really care about talent, and I'll send him out, yeah. and they'll use him until he's you know, and then they'll use their technology to kind of bring him back and send him back out again. Um, so you know, I, I thought that was that that worked really well to sort of provide a character that would, you know, be a match for for, for Batman um, and be someone that would offer. You know, there's a bit of conflict and tension there because these these two guys are they're, they're physically able to match each other. You know, and are they gonna are they gonna get along? You know, but also you know from a thematic point of view, I can also draw parallels between everything that's going on. It was a nice tidy package. And was this a, a, is this a thing I was forgetting that was already there before? Was it done before where the uh, members of the court went by names of different breeds of owl? No. Well done for catching that. Uh, Yeah, no, that's, that's me. Uh, Um, It's very clever. I was wondering about that. Yeah, keep it up. Was... Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was so... funny because we'd just been to an owl sanctuary. Um, there's, oh, there's like a kind of like there's a there's a kind of like a the, it's a bird of prey sanctuary not too far from here, and we took the took my two daughters to go and have a look at and it, you know and I was, we went in and there was all the the owls and I was like. Oh, ding, ding, ding. That's all, awesome. you know, yeah. that's where it came from. Beautiful. Yeah, it just all clicked. Uh, so you, we've discussed all of these different components that, you know, we've all thought were were super clever and, and really well done. And then all of them combined, it's, uh, you know, w- we aren't just saying this because we, we have you here. We, you know, if we weren't into your work, we just wouldn't have uh, asked you to be on, be on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it really is a good book. The, this isn't uh, hyperbole that we're telling people that, that they really want to check this out. You know, if, if you're listening 
this late into the episode. Hopefully you have already picked it up. But if you decided, you know, maybe I'll just listen to him talk about it instead of reading the issue, you, you really should uh, go out and check it out. You, even if, uh, you, whether you pick up comics for, for stories or if you just pick up comics just to check out the art, this uh, it's, it's a strength for both of these. It goes strength oh, to you. strength on both of them. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, what should we expect from the remaining two issues? Uh, what do we have coming at us in this story? Well, I mean, I, I, like, it's, I think issue two is even better. Yeah. Like, I re- and I'm not just saying that. I really do. Like, issue one sets everything up. Um, and issue two, like, I really start to kind of drive down on what we're talking about and the, the you know, the thematic stuff, but also driving the plot forward. Uh, we will see Gotham below in issue two. We see that far more. Uh, we get a sense of what Batman below is all about uh, and why does he want this, this lad? Um, you know, and uh, we're going to have the, we're going to have the court, you know, obviously we know at the end of issue one that they're going to reach out to Batman, uh, but it's, you know, how is he going to respond to that? How is Batman going to respond? Because he's quite a prideful man. And how is he going to respond to um, the court reaching out to him for his assistance? You know, and so we're going to have that as well. Um, And a lot of, you know, we're going to have, we already know Flamingo is going to be in it. So we've got that. So what's he, what's he going to do? Uh, There's going to be some other classic rogues in there. Um, One of my favorite uh, villains, Batman villains of all time is going to be in it. I'm not going to tell you who that is, but he plays a very important part in issue two. And uh, and obviously we're gonna we're gonna be carrying on Harvey's story, and you know looking at how he's coping with stuff. And uh, just riding on the coattails of the original synopsis, uh, what I take from that is, in addition to the Batman from below, we will see other characters from below. mm Hmm. Wow. I'm keeping stum about that. Mm, okay. <laughs> mm, you okay. keep your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to ask you about Spectrograph. Uh, so you're doing Spectrograph. It's coming early next year. You're working with my favorite author of the past several years, James Tynan. Uh, if anyone doesn't somehow know who I'm talking about, uh, he he was originally what you would have seen him on first if you were reading that long ago he was doing backup stories in scott snyder's new 52 batman run after that he was doing what detective comics and i i think he did batman robin he did his own batman run a little while ago uh post uh, all of the rebirth stuff these days he's known primarily in the indie stuff something is killing the children department of truth uh we're now uh five issues deep into world tree and that's amazing oh. and now christian ward is combining with james tynan over at distillery the new publisher you know so distillery the the founding editor over at distillery is fucking will dennis you know vertigo and black label He's a rock star on his own, but then you've got James Tynan, Christian Ward, Ram V is over there, Jock is over there, just Atula Lote, Becky Cloonan. It goes on and on, and it's insane. But the two of you are doing yeah. this horror story. Not a lot is out. I got to read uh, Devil's Cut back in June, and I put Spectrograph on my pull list back in June. 
because nice. I knew that it was going to be a thing. What can you tell us at this point about Spectrograph? I can tell you that it's uh, me and James doing a haunted house story. That's what I can tell you. We are doing a book about ghosts and what ghosts means to us and what a ghost what does the idea of a ghost mean um so i mean i will you know it's i will let james be the one that kind of you know it's his story he can spill the beans i mean what i will say is when i was you know my 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 whole career has been moving towards being a singular solo creator you know a writer and an artist that's what i've always wanted to be and obviously this batman book is the first time i've done that but there are exceptions to wanting to work purely on my own and one of those exceptions is is you know james tinian i mean he, he is one of my favorite writers not just now yeah ever i mean he he is so good. I don't think anyone writes one. I don't think anyone writes a better first issue than James Tinian. Uh-huh. But he's I've, just before we got into call, I was catching up on World Tree. I've not read five yet. Okay. Zip it, zip it. Um, <laughs> um, so um, you know, and and same with um, with Nice House on the Lake. Uh-huh. It, he is. He can juggle characters. You know, like how, like he's given his character two lines in this in this issue, and yet I know exactly who this character is. How does he do that? And obviously, the artist, he's obviously, you know, the artists he works with are, are incredible, and they're doing, you know, they're doing their job as well of bringing these characters to life. But he's so good at he brings re- he does really wild. And um, spectrograph is no different. And again, it's not for me to sort of like you know spoil anything, but it's. It is wild, you know, in the same way that, you know, World Tree is kind of like a slasher film, a little slasher story, but it's not. A, a Nice House on the Lake is kind of like, you know, a, a, an end of the world thing, but it's not. You know, it, it, it's, he's so good at kind of doing a really wild out there concept, but packaging it in this very, accessible way and and i mean that in the highest praise as i, as I can go you know you, he is so good at structure and like giving out pieces of information so you just you know exactly where you are even if you don't know what's going on you know exactly what's happening you you know you you get the you know what's happening and, and my god like does anybody do a better cliffhanger than james yeah And and I've noticed over the years, James has this knack for creating this stable of illustrators that he works with. You know, you mentioned Nice House on the Lake. He's got Alvaro Martinez over there. You've got uh, Fernando Blanco on uh, World Tree, Martin Simmons on Department of Truth, Werther Deladero over on Something is Killing the Children. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, and that's not even everything that he does, but it's Mm -hmm. just. he has this knack for finding these really talented guys who perfectly complement the story that is being told in that particular book and you know he builds the story for them 
Do you know what I mean? Like like yeah. like Spectrograph, you know, me and James have been talking about Spectrograph for probably two going on two and a half, three years now. You know, this is something that's been you know, we are very much mutual admirers of each other and and, and this it was built to me, for me, you know, mm-hmm. and what a great honour, you know, uh, and it's, you know, I don't know, you know, there are other writers that I would love to work with, but, um, you know, it may be after I work with James, you know, it's just me solo, 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 but I'm so glad and so, I'm so happy that kind of like, you know, the planets have aligned and I've been able, you know, we're able to do this book together and it, oh, it's so fucking cool. It's so, so fucking cool. And it, and here's the other thing, you know, I'm, a, you know, I'm working on issue three of, of Batman now and I, I'm under no illusions. And when I finish that book, I'm going to be, I'm going to have the blues, you know, 100%. Yeah. I'll be down. I'll be like my dream book. I've done it, you know, and there'll be a sense of, wow, I've done it. Congratulations and all that. But there'll be that I'll I'm having such fun day by day, and I don't think I've ever enjoyed myself as much as I have day by day, you know. And and I'm going to be a bit like, oh, it's done. But I get to go from that yeah. to to work with James, and it's just like, my God, I'm I I really am a lucky son of a bitch. And and you'll you'll have you know as a consolation for having finished your baby. Yeah. You will get to move into having your turn with, you know, uh, a James Tynan shared creation. You know, to have yeah. your turn oh, for a book that goes into 18th print on issue oh, wouldn't, one. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? Oh, yes, and now, please. <laughs> and this is one of the covers that we're looking at here. Uh, is this an issue well, one no, cover? This, that is not a cover. Um, so basically, me and James have been working on it for, for a long time and and. I did that as a kind of test piece to kind okay. of um, get the idea of what it might look like. We've since moved away from from that. I mean, there's, there's elements of that yeah. that, you know, are going to be in. I mean, I just felt like it, there was similarities with some of the visuals there that he's now using in World Tree. Yeah, just completely, that. you know, so it will be, it'll be different. But it, it was such a cool piece. I wanted to put it out there so yeah. people can kind of see. But it, tonally... It's what you can expect, but um, so will it? Yeah. Will do you feel this? Uh, your cover for uh, Devil's Cut is uh, maybe that's, more representative. That's a little bit more representative, yeah. and obviously cool. the 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 the, uh, the pages that are in the the book um, are, are very close. But I'm I'm I mean we're still you know I haven't started working on it yet, but I'm considering um, doing some physical artwork for it, not to, mm-hmm. not digital. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then it might look quite different. I, I haven't decided yet, but uh, you'll like it. You'll like well, it. Excited to see it either way. I know, you know, I love everything James does. I love everything you do. So I know uh, everyone's in for a treat when that happens. Yeah. And that's uh, coming 2024. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got a special guest. Yeah, I might I'm have to. Hello. Oh, no, yeah. of course. Yep. Of course. For sure. Come on, should we should we take you back to bed? Aww. <laughs> Aww. Well, maybe we put everyone to bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really lovely chatting to you guys. Are you okay with me? Kind of absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a natural yeah. place to stop. Yeah. The, and the, what a perfect ending. Then we can put everyone to. Christian, c- could you put all of yeah. us to bed? Oh, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. Right. <laughs> really, lo- <laughs> really lovely chatting to see you guys. Have a great night. Likewise, you too. have a good night, man. Yes, guys, we'll talk to you, you soon. Bye. Thanks very much. Bye Thank now. You. Cheers. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, All <dude>. right. <laughs> uh, what what a cute. great ending, but that was Christian Ward and his little one. That was Batman City of Madness, issue one, all full spoilers. Hopefully you read it before you got this far. Uh, anything you want to say before we wrap up, Tom? No, I think that was the cutest ending to any uh, any episode we've ever done. Well, Bill, maybe one day you can outdo it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll cute it. All right, we'll see. We'll try. There we go. But that was Bat Forest Radio with Christian Ward once again. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.